Have you listened to the North County Beats two-part episode on election toxicity yet? We're talking about the cloud of online and verbal harassment that's descended upon North County's elections this season. Don't miss the Coast News Clean Campaign Forum on October 13th, featuring both Encinitas candidates for mayor and city council, sharing how they propose to govern and host the hard conversations North County residents are asking for. Hey there, and welcome to the North County Beat, a podcast by the Coast News Group. Today is Friday, September 18th. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. Today we have another big show in store for you, following up to our episode last time on toxicity in local elections and what can be done to mitigate that. But before we dive in, I've got a few quick messages for you. To support the Coast News podcast efforts and the high-quality local journalism that we are dishing up, consider becoming a monthly donor. Head to the podcast directory on thecoastnews.com and click support this show under your favorite podcast to pledge what you can each month. We appreciate your support. All right, now it's time to dive into part two of our series on election toxicity. Once again, I'm joined with Caitlin Steinberg, Encinitas reporter for The Coast News. Hey, Caitlin. Hi, Kelly. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Definitely happy to have you back for part two here. So today's episode is looking at how local politicians are responding to all of the anger and hate out there surrounding elections and what can be done to curb this ugliness moving forward. So Caitlin, before we get into it, I want to take a few moments here to recap what we went over in part one and to refresh some memories, if you will. So basically, our last episode addressed a national culture of divisiveness which trickled down into local elections. Absolutely. We talked about Giovanni Filomeno, an Italian immigrant who identifies as a Democrat, who, after losing his job to COVID, took another job selling Trump merchandise around the county just to feed his family. So we discussed the uh, responses that he gets from passerbys, which are pretty colorful. Seems like they've been pretty respectful. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, most of the time, but mm-hmm. they they just come to, to be honest, and they just <laughs> just they just yeah, see yeah. <laughs> they just see uh, yeah, I just I just got used to it. We also heard from Captain Herbert Taft of the North Coastal Sheriff Station detailing the spectrum of increasing conflict in Encinitas, from simple disagreements to hate speech and violent threats, found both online and in person this 2020 election season. I've seen some really mean, cruel, vicious texts, emails, just social media comments that go beyond what I would even want my kids to see or read. Um, I'm just, it, it, it can be very disappointing to see that sort of toxicity. And then there was politics professor Casey Dominguez of the University of San Diego, who shared how party polarization and social media have combined to create this really toxic political environment in some cases. So the social media and then the party polarization Um, together um, create a different climate than existed 20 years ago. And that brings us to today's episode on what can be done to move forward. In my conversation with Dominguez, we also focused on different types of campaign strategies. And she said something about negative campaigning that really surprised me. People have been studying uh, negative campaigning for a long time 
and have generally found that negative campaigns campaigns can actually be really informative to voters. Wow, that's a bit counterintuitive. So when Dominguez says the words negative campaigning, that's not necessarily a bad thing? Right. So there's a difference between a negative campaign strategy that uses contrast and a straight-up personal attack. For example, here's how Dominguez describes a productive negative campaign or a contrast campaign when challenging an incumbent. This is what my opponent is doing wrong. This is what I would do better. Right. If you were doing a research-based campaign, you would do uh, you would contrast the incumbent's record with what you propose to do differently. That's informative to voters. Uh, it's negative, but that's negative in, in the way that is most supportive of voters making informed choices. So if I understand this correctly, even though the compare and contrast method of campaigning might seem negative in nature, if you're taking on an incumbent, it can be useful to list their cons versus your pros? Exactly. And we need to note that negative campaigning does not always equate to mudslinging either. In fact, Dominguez says when personal attacks on the other candidate become associated with the campaign, undecided voters are historically kind of turned off to that. Voters have traditionally perceived personal attacks to be a bad thing for democracy. Um, But voters generally don't like mudslinging. And so if there is a lot of that, that can turn voters off. And it may not help the candidate who's doing it. So essentially, whether it comes from the candidate themselves or passionate constituents, personal attacks, which are different from negative campaign strategy we just mentioned, have the potential to do some legitimate damage to a campaign trying to appeal to undecided swing voters? That's right. So they could even discourage voters from participating in local politics at all. This is why Dominguez also stresses the importance of being able to disagree respectfully and productively. I think it is a responsibility of candidates and voters and the news media to all um, try to support social norms um, that respect everybody's rights to disagree. That's hard. That's hard. That's the, the challenge of democratic citizenship. Yeah, it seems like there's a real need for these hard conversations to sit in the discomfort of differing opinions and talk through our beliefs without resorting to insults and personal attacks. Totally. But the tough part here is figuring out how to actually do that. There are many politicians out there right now on both sides of the aisle that are navigating their own brand of productive dialogue. After this short break, we're going to hear from an elected official at the county level who's been working on his approach to this. Stay tuned. Welcome back. We're now going to hear from a North County politician who's been in the news quite a bit lately. County supervisors about reopening our economy. Some arguing we should go against the state's tier system. County supervisors dismissed a board member's proposal to fully open up businesses affected by COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. That proposal came from Supervisor Jim Desmond. County Supervisor Jim Desmond says there doesn't need to be a choice between public safety and a strong economy and that local needs are more important than California. Rules right now. Jim Desmond is the county supervisor for District 5, which covers Carlsbad, Camp Pendleton, and some of North County's inland areas. Today, we are not here to discuss Desmond's political beliefs or stances on current issues. We are, however, going to discuss his approach to hard conversations and policy debate, specifically in the last half year of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Desmond is not up for re-election this year, which is another reason why we wanted to talk to him about his current strategy. As local reporters, we typically subscribe to newsletters of elected officials so we can keep tabs on what they're up to. It's really helpful stuff. So in one of Desmond's communications, I saw a blurb that really stood out to me. He has this podcast, right? From San Diego, California, welcome to Around the County with Supervisor Jim Desmond. Hello, everyone. He'll interview all these different people on his podcast about topics locally. He'll invite on the show, you know, other government officials, regional business owners, professors, and whoever else needs to comment on the happenings around the region. So in an email newsletter last month, he wrote a description of an episode in late July where he interviewed a professor with the UCSD Department of Immunology and Microbiology about COVID-19. Uh, we got a video today with uh, Dr. Christian uh, Anderson. Uh, it's a different perspective from what we've had on, on here before. The blurb read, while I don't agree with everything we talked about, it's important to have open conversations, especially during a time like this. I guess what I was really trying to stress is let's hear from different people with different ideas from different backgrounds and um, and put them out there. And if other people want to hear, listen to them, that's that's great. So here you have this elected official pushing to reopen businesses during a pandemic, and he's reaching out to a doctor who says we're not quite there yet. In a world of echo chambers, discussions like this really stand out. It wasn't necessarily heated, but rather it's a conversation of two people who have different viewpoints and they're just both making their case. Yeah, this philosophy is also reflected in Desmond's interactions with his political colleagues. In this field, he says, you know, try to see where you agree, because there's got to be some things, you, you know, that, uh, you know, you agree on, you vote with each other and other times you don't. You just can't take it personally. You say, OK, what's next? Move on. A couple of other takeaways from Supervisor Desmond's approach to his role, he doesn't care to bring national politics into local matters, and he does not engage with any hate on social media. Stick to the issues and stay in your lane, he says. The mudslinging is going to be there. You can't let it hurt your feelings. You got to go with what your your brain is telling you to do, uh, do the right thing. While Desmond is getting a lot of attention for his stance on COVID right now, he isn't up for re-election. We also wanted to look at some of the candidates who are currently in the election arena to see what their response is to this toxicity. Last episode, we focused on Encinitas, where things have grown particularly ugly during this election. In keeping with that train of thought, for this episode, we reached out to the two mayoral candidates in the city. Current Mayor Catherine Blakespear, the incumbent, and her challenger, political newcomer Julie Thunder. We wanted to explore the toxicity that they've been seeing themselves and how each of them proposed to counter it as we get deeper into this election season. And Caitlin, I understand this race has not been pretty. You've been covering it quite extensively. And when you spoke with both Mayor Blakespear and Julie Thunder, they shared some very intense reports of toxicity that they've experienced. Absolutely. Current Mayor Catherine Blakespear has been in office for four years now, and in that space of time, she's received physical, verbal, and online harassment. And on one occasion, during the first weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic, a group of 100 protesters marched to her home, frightening her own family. But when you have 100 people chanting for me to come out and taunting me, and my kids are frightened inside, and there's no visible 
of law enforcement presence, what you know, the, the it's always that there's an environment and then a match can be thrown into that and it, it ignites, right? So what if somebody had thrown a brick or a rock through a window? What you know, that kind of thing can happen. And so th- th- does that make me feel vulnerable and and scared? Yes. That is so wild. So they've actually taken this hate to her home. Initially, I was surprised by it. Although, if I'm being honest, several months passed and I had my own personal experiences with threats and hate speech. And suddenly it just really wasn't a huge surprise. And this isn't just happening to Mayor Blakespeare. Her challenger, Julie Thunder, has also experienced some pretty ugly hate speech in the few months of her candidacy. In fact, in a moment of pure irony, this morning, while scripting and editing this very podcast, Thunder was the recipient of a personal attack sent to not only the sitting city council, but the editorial staff of the Coast News. I've recently gotten an email from somebody, but he, on these emails, he's recently, his rhetoric against me has really gone up. And this individual called me a human pig, which is not a threat, but it, I have to say it feels a little threatening. It just, it doesn't settle well for anybody to call you that. Clearly, there is hate coming from both sides of this election. But it doesn't seem like the candidates themselves are instigating this. So have you seen them making personal attacks on each other? Or is this hate mostly coming from constituents? Honestly, it's mostly coming from constituents. Got it. So with both candidates experiencing this toxicity, you have to wonder what these candidates are supposed to do to kind of curb that behavior. This is something that I was wondering, and I brought it up to Professor Dominguez. So I asked her how candidates should handle these hateful comments and personal attacks on their opponents. And here's what she said. There is only so much that they can do about every social media post everywhere, but when it rises to the level of the news media and, and they get asked about it, it is absolutely um, the responsibility of candidates to exercise a leadership role in saying to their own supporters, thanks so much for your support. I, I, you know, I really, I think we can do this in a more, um, in a more constructive way. And pause. So Dominguez specifically points out the news media saying these candidates have a responsibility to respond to toxicity when asked about it, which is interesting because this is literally what happened to us today. The email Thunder just shared really was sent to multiple staff at the Coast News. While the email was not explicitly pro-Blakesphere, it was absolutely anti-Julie Thunder. And as this specific individual has publicly expressed support for Blakespeare in the past, though it has not been consistent, I still reached out to her for a response. We had just spoken two days prior for this podcast, and she had pledged herself to disavow derogatory speech, even if said against her opponent. Well, I don't support anybody using derogatory terms that are insulting and offensive and disrespectful to the core person. It's important that you recognize where people are coming from and when when there are disparaging terms like that used it's it's basically just meant to demean and belittle them so i don't support that mayor blakespeare does not condone this behavior in her supporters and neither does thunder who also promised to denounce such behavior from her own supporters who have made hateful statements towards blakespeare and as a candidate a politician i also have the right to say Now, now, let's not go there. 
which I will if it's uh, completely egregious. So both Encinitas mayoral candidates are expressing an interest in condemning hate speech, threats, and toxic rhetoric. But I think there's something else that we should note here. These haters are a very small piece of the constituency. Supervisor Desmond even notices this in his own region. As with anything in politics, you know, there's a there's a handful of very, very, very vocal people, and then there's 90% of everybody else. So you have to, you know, focus on who you who it is you represent, and 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 you know, make sure you're you're doing right by them. Mayor Blakesford also believes something very similar. A lot of the work itself of being the mayor is already difficult. You're trying to find consensus with other elected officials and with professional staffs at these big agencies and to move forward on things and to have accountability. And so, so then to, to think that you're going to jump in to that forum and spend your emotional energy in that place, for me, it's just not possible. So while certain instances of toxic rhetoric make a big splash, we need to remember that this is not the majority of voters but they do grab the majority of our attention, which is why this reporting is focused on ways that politicians can mitigate toxicity. I did ask both Thunder and Blakespear about how each of them would navigate through these tough conversations that sometimes spark toxicity, and they are both committed to listening to their constituency. Blakespear stressed the necessity of civility between both parties at the table, saying that without it, it's difficult to get anything done. So when you when you don't start from that position, doors start to immediately close emotionally for people. And then it's much harder to find a, a future consensus or a, a way to to compromise and, and have a position that might be acceptable to both sides. Both candidates agreed, though, listening is key. Without the ability to listen and learn, it's impossible to move forward. One of the reasons Thunder chose to run for election was her desire to offer residents of differing opinions a greater platform. I'm spending inordinate amounts of time meeting with people, having coffee with them, one-on-one, in groups, on email, on Zoom, on the phone, and... It's what I normally do. It's the person I am. I'm interested in people and I like to hear where they're coming from and what their ideas are. And as we have these discussions about decreasing toxic rhetoric and creating space for more civil, productive elections, our team here at the Coast News wanted to pursue a way to hold politicians accountable for mitigating hate speech surrounding their campaigns. So, drumroll please... The Coast News is launching a 2020 Clean Campaign Pledge. This pledge, which will be launched within Encinitas elections to start, is something that all North County candidates can sign, committing to a campaign that is respectful, honest, and above all, discourages this toxic behavior. This pledge has already been signed by Mayor Blake Spear and her opponent, Julie Thunder. Which is why it was actually so ironic that Thunder received that personal attack email while we were producing this episode. And with the pledge, the Coast News is also hosting a clean campaign forum. And that's set for Tuesday, October 13th. And we'll be inviting all Encinitas candidates, city council included, to share their own approaches to running a clean campaign. And why that's so beneficial for our community. It's going to be a hectic election season. There is no doubt about that. And while we may not be able to control what happens nationally, 
We can take steps within our own communities to have productive conversations that lead to actual change. So mark your calendars for this Clean Campaign Forum because you'll want to know how your elected officials are going to handle disagreement and hard conversations. Things aren't going to magically get better after Election Day. People who disagree on November 3rd will still disagree on the 4th. These tough conversations will still need to happen. And holding politicians accountable allows residents to see how they will act once they're on the job. That is definitely true. You can read the full campaign pledge at thecoastnews.com and get more information on who signed it and what they're going to do to stick to it. Make sure you check out the Clean Campaign Forum on October 13th to hear directly from these candidates. Caitlin, thank you so much for your reporting and for breaking down these issues on election toxicity with us. You've been awesome. My pleasure. I can't wait. And that's a wrap on this two-part series on election toxicity locally. We appreciate you coming along for the ride and diving into these topics with us. Again, if you want to read that Clean Campaign Pledge for yourself, you can catch that on our website, thecoastnews.com. That virtual forum, again, will be held on Tuesday, October 13th. Hang in there, everybody. It is a tough season, but we got this. A few thank yous on our way out today. Our podcast manager is Ryan Woltz. Coast News Editor-in-Chief is Jordan Ingram. Our associate publisher is Chris Kidd. And our publisher is Jim Kidd. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. You've been listening to the North County Beat. Make sure to subscribe and drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you back here on Friday, October 2nd. Have an excellent weekend, and we will talk to you next time.